Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. 11 to 1 on LMFM with Gilmore's Kings Court. Test drive the awesome new 2019 Mercedes-Benz C-Class today where control and balance is awesome and the build is strong. Elevate your presence with the new 2019 Mercedes-Benz E-Class from Gilmore's Kings Court. Find out more at Gilmore's or see gilmores.ie. Sleep. It's so vital for our children's development, yet so many of our children have difficulty winding down to sleep. Some refuse to nap and others constantly wake during the night. Like many people, I find it stressful trying to get my young son into a good sleep routine, so I've decided to call in an expert. Pediatric sleep consultant and author Lucy Wolf is with me now to give us lots of helpful advice. Good afternoon, Lucy. Hello, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Sleep deprived, but good. (laughs) Now, sleep is so important for children's development, but it's the one area that many of us are struggling to get right. Is it normal for young children to be pretty rubbish at going to sleep? Yes, in the main. And and now that's a very generalised statement. (laughs) I think it's probably fair to say that parents will report huge struggles with their typically developing child, that sleep is the biggest challenge when they have an otherwise healthy child. And I suppose there's good reasons for that because sleep is highly complex. There's loads of force factors. There's lots of things that affect your child's sleep. And again, sleep changes as your child gets older. So when they come out of the wrapper when they're first born, you know, their sleep system is along with everything else is quite immature and some will sleep very well and a lot of them won't actually and they'll struggle to achieve achieve and maintain their sleep and that's all considered relatively typical and there are things that parents can do in the background to try and help lay a foundation for positive sleep practices and then beyond six months of age if sleep struggles are still real then again we can look further at working on it even in a higher grade because then we feel that sleep it has matured in such a way that they can be helped to sleep you know go to sleep mm. with greater ease and stay asleep for longer periods of time and but being realistic about their ability at the same time too yeah because we have this newborn stage so we know that they're going to wake up a lot for food and all that sort of stuff and really i suppose the first year maybe year and a half or so they do go through these periods of waking up and things like that but i'm at the stage now my son would be pushing 3 yet we have frequent periods of i would say restlessness mainly like kind of crying out in the sleep uh, not fully waking 
exciting but disruptive, if you know what I mean. Yes, and I suppose some children will make an awful lot of noise in the overnight period and again can be considered normal. It kind of depends on whether he needs your input within that. So if he's restless and needs you to get up to him and go and support him back to sleep and even if it's just quick on your part, then that would be considered relatively disturbed sleep for both parties Mm -hmm. and most certainly beyond six months of age. And I work with children up to six years of age. We do feel that they can start to do longer and deeper and more consolidated stretches of sleep. That said, you, you may always need to do brief reassurance here and there, but we work towards a situation where you, they need less and less from us and they do more and more themselves. Yes, because you, you have the notion of self-soothing, which is something that we try. So if he cries out, we don't immediately run there. We sort of see, will he settle himself? And then if it gets a little bit more persistent, we might go in, give him a little rub on the head, all that sort of stuff for your grand mm. grand and back to sleep. Is that the right thing to do or is there a right and wrong? Yeah, there isn't a right and wrong. For me, I suppose, I guess, I think that we find our level as parents and then there's loads of opportunity if it feels like it's not working, okay? So what you outlined for me is, let's say, a symptom. He's waking and maybe you're treating it with a technique where you go and you settle him. Mm. For me, I always want to find out why is that waking actually happening? And then I know what the right treatment might be. So there's loads of things that affect your children's sleep. Everything they eat, everything they drink, everything they see, feel, hear, see, do affects their sleep. But there's two major contributing factors that I focus on. The first being, you mentioned the word self-settling. Mm-hmm. I might reframe that and call it sleepability. So I look for a child to develop a sleep ability so that they can put themselves to sleep with minimized parental input in an effort to be able to do the same in the overnight period. So if there's any level of dependency at bedtime, there doesn't have to be your, your presence. It could be a drink too close to sleep time. It could be something small. It could be music playing at bedtime. So something that the brain is registering as the child is going asleep often then contributes to the nighttime activity that parents experience. So it's about figuring out what their associations with sleep are and improving the sleepability firstly at bedtime and then hoping to see it improving in the overnight period. But the other part of sleep problems is to do with timekeeping. And for me, in the most part, biological timekeeping makes up the bigger part of most of the struggles that parents experience. And that's deeply embedded in the time your child wakes in the morning the time they nap if a nap is still needed and the time that they go to bed and the distance between, let's say, the end of day sleep and being in bed asleep. And it's typically an irregularity there that also contributes to the waking that you, can, that you, you, you experience. So, again, children go through lots of different stages um, in terms of their napping needs mm-hmm. and their bedtime. And once your child is beyond four months of age, generally bedtimes get really quite early you know, somewhere yeah. between 6 and 8 o'clock. And again, 8, eight o'clock bedtimes, or even half 7 p.m. bedtimes, they're reserved for children that sleep really well. So very often bringing forward bedtime, even though it feels too early, is a very productive and positive um, a, a strategy to improve nighttime sleep. Yeah, and then You know, yes. Lucy, sorry to cut across you there. I would say it's because a lot of parents like myself, you know, 
we're working we don't see the kids all day and then you know you want to spend that bit of time with them and then suddenly the bedtime like I would say now it would be coming closer and closer to say quarter to eight and he's not going to sleep until well after eight really so that's probably the problem yeah, generally it can be. So you mentioned he's nearly three, is he? You're a little fellow. Yeah, he'll be three in May. Yeah, so he's likely not napping anymore? Yeah, no, the odd time he will. When he's in the crash, he will. But when he's at home with us, he likes yeah. to play silly beggars. <laughs> yes, and you see, and I, like you, working parent, you know, I find it difficult to come home, get enough time with the children. However, sometimes when we extend that time, we see them more frequently overnight as a result. <laughs> yes. So um, it's a case of in the beginning, to bring forward bedtime, balance things out there. So bedtime for me is in bed asleep as opposed to what time we start the process at. So again, just making that small adjustment can often result in a more restful sleep for him and for for people that are listening as well, that we're looking for what I call a nap gap dynamic when your child is still napping. So there's certain parameters that I try to observe. So for example, most children from around eight months to up to three or so, they do really well if they're not awake for more than four hours between their final nap and being in bed asleep. Okay. That often means maybe napping until three or 3.30 to be comfortably asleep between seven and 7.30. But then when there's no nap anymore, being in bed asleep for seven actually is really productive. Right, okay. Now, in terms of kids that, say, refuse to nap, even though they really need one, so say the ones that are not quite hitting the three, they're at this stage, they're two years of age, they really do need a nap, but they just refuse to go down. Have you any tips there? Yeah, and again, I'm going to start to sound boring now, but everything that happens with your children's sleep is all based in bedtime. So what you do at bedtime and the time that bedtime happens actually has huge implications for daytime. So sometimes if the bedtime is too late, it locks out the napping ability the next day. Whereas if we bring forward bedtime, it unlocks the napping mechanism, which means that napping is easier to achieve. Now, it's not as necessarily as straightforward as that, but it's a very good starting point. And then depending on where your child is at age-wise, you know, eight months, most children... Eight months to 18 months, most children need, you know, two naps a day. And it's about getting the timing for that nap right. So getting to your child before they become overtired. Children who resist sleep, their bodies had a chemical reaction, which is cortisol and adrenaline to the system, which means that the body goes into the fight or flight mode, which results in the resistance to sleep. So what we try to do is get to your baby's body before that actually happens. And then they're sleep ready. And then the resistance is much lower and the chance of them going asleep is much higher. Also, if your child has associations at bedtime and their sleep ability is not as high as it should be, then that also can have an implication for daytime sleep as well. So again, we're looking at sleep always as a whole. You know, we're looking at what happens at bedtime what happens overnight and then what they associate with going to sleep during the day and how can we help them do that better. So very often we need to put a whole plan in place to try to address all of the issues that parents are experiencing. So say, you know, we've all been there as well at 2am, we're jolted out of sleep by a screaming child. The child won't calm down and the screaming could go on for an hour or so. Now this is, um, say, for a child that might be just one. Uh, you've done all the usual things, you know, the nappy situation, the, they've been well fed before bed, you know, but yet this is happening. Do you, do you know mm. what could be going wrong there? Yeah, a lot of it is to do with overtiredness by day an imbalanced daytime sleep, okay? So maybe at one, two naps a day, but one nap is really 
long and one nap is really short and that often leads to a lot of crying in the overnight period. The other thing that happens as well is that if you've been trying to resolve issues in the overnight period, it often leads to a level of unpredictability. So I do one thing, dad does another and then baby doesn't know what you want from yes. them. And so then a level of inconsistency is there and that often results in a lot of crying. For me as a practitioner, I'm not looking for intense crying strategies to improve sleep really want sleep to be improved in a very emotionally considerate and a very parent attended way so that whilst there may well be upset as your child makes those changes that it is the least upset that they can and should be and that it is always supported by the parent but that we're not just treating the symptom so again the night waking you outline is only ever a symptom and somehow we need to data mine and figure out what's causing that and then work our way backwards so that whatever treatment we apply so I use my stay and support approach whenever I'm making changes so that when whatever changes we make are supported by the parent but that they start to improve so that your night wakings diminish over the course of a week or so and that the upset that's experienced if at all is really low grade and not high end at all Okay so just to finish off then a good bedtime routine is really key how would you kind of go through a good bedtime routine with us? Um, so I would make I make it not sophisticated at all and very straightforward. I recommend that a bedtime routine happens in the bedroom that your child is going to sleep in. Mm-hmm. I strongly encourage any drinks, milk, breast or bottle beyond six months plus to be completely separate to sleep. So done in the living space as a beverage. Um, and then doing a bedtime routine in the bedroom that would be maybe getting your baby ready for sleep so dim the lights close the curtains nappy change pyjama sleeping bag loads of physical contact loads of eye contact lots of emotional connected time together song story you know if they won't sit on your knee and read a book with them I might do low impact play like stacking cups or shape sorting or wooden puzzles so that it's really connected it's Mm -hmm. one on one it's in a dim environment which enhances the sleep hormone melatonin and it's also connected which enhances the relaxing chemicals oxytocin and then they can go into their their bed or their cot and then if you're making some changes that you know like moving feeds out of sleep then of course to use my stay and support approach to help them transition and Lucy if people want to get in touch with you how can people reach you so my website is sleepmatters.ie and um, I do a one-to-one consultation service for parents but I also have a book which is The Baby Sleep Solution which covers uh, sleep from birth to six years of age and that's another great resource for parents if they want to try and work through their sleep challenges themselves um, it, it's a very comprehensive guide Lucy thank you so much for joining us on 11 to 1 I'm going to put all of those uh, tips into practice but thanks so much for joining me My absolute pleasure Lucy Wolf there our sleep expert sleepmatters.ie lots of great advice from her hopefully that helps 11 to 1 on LMFM with Gilmore's Kings Court test drive the awesome new 2019 Mercedes-Benz C-Class today where control and balance is awesome and the build is strong elevate your presence with the new 2019 Mercedes-Benz E-Class from Gilmore's Kings Court find out more at Gilmore's or see gilmores.ie Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. 
Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. <laughs> 